Hey friends, welcome to episode 18 of the Making Room on the Pew podcast, a podcast for the church misfits and outcasts. Happy 2020. I know that we have missed a couple of episodes here. We talk about that in this episode. Um, Thanks so much for sticking around. Um, I'm really, really excited for what we have planned uh, for this year. So I have some amazing people who are coming on the podcast. I cannot wait uh, to release those episodes, but we have people talking about everything from rape culture to how to talk to our kids about sex and consent to ableism to being anti-racist, not just not racist, um, to singleness, uh, and just so much more, guys. I'm so excited about these women um, that I have coming on the podcast this year, Um, which reminds me, if you guys are interested in being on the podcast, or if you know someone who would be a great fit to be on the podcast, please, please, please let me know. Um, I love meeting new people or... If you're an old friend and you want to come and talk to me, that would be great too. Um, feel free to email me at Bailey Joe Welch. So it's just B-A-I-L-E-Y-J-O-W-E-L-C-H at gmail.com. Um, or go to my website, find me on Instagram or Twitter. I would love to hear from you guys. Um, all right, so here we are with my sometimes co-host, Reverend Sarah Welch-Pomerantz. All right, we are back. Happy 2020. I can't believe it's 2020 already, but I say that every time it's like a new year. It's the 20s. It's the roaring 20s. But it's going to be better than the last roaring 20s because... Well, and there's no prohibition or any of those things. Yeah. Not. Plus, I mean, it's a hundred years. There's a lot of things that are different. Anyway, it's the twenties. We're very excited about it. Um, we took a couple of weeks off the podcast. Do you, you want to tell everyone why? Well, Christmas. You know, I have to work through that season. Yeah, sorry. We did um, two out of four weeks of Advent. Yeah. Um. So I'm. I'm really sorry, but that is all we could manage because Sarah works at a church. I mean, she's a pastor, and that's hard. (laughs) When you say work at a church, it sounds like I'm the janitor. No, I Advent... Janitors at churches are very important. Well, I happen to agree. They are taking care of a sacred place. No, um, we went to California for our long-awaited honeymoon, and we went to Sonoma, 13 months late. 13 months late, yep. Um, And the reason it took 13 months is because we didn't know where we wanted to go. And honeymoons take time to plan and uh, save for. So We didn't didn't even plan our wedding until, like, what, three months beforehand? It was, like, the last 90 days where everyone's like, you should be enjoying this, that we finally actually plan stuff. Yeah, I would say we're late planners. So... If you're ever working with us to plan an event or a party, you should mentally prepare yourself that you're going to be dealing with two people who won't have opinions until probably the last, like, 15 minutes before the party. 
or I have a lot of ideas. I just it t- they take a while. They have to marinate a bit. I just like get overwhelmed and am frozen. So and then do nothing. And then I do nothing. <laughs> and then I you know sit and watch The Simpsons or The Mandalorian or something like that. But we went on our honeymoon uh, to Sonoma. We had a really good time. We saw some old friends. We saw some new stuff. We went to a vineyard where they make uh, organic wine, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, they told us that there are specific ways in which organic wine is made, and it takes a long time to get certified. I thought we were going to learn about some of the ways in which it happened. We had a tour guide who took us on a hike who told us that this particular uh, winery, I'm not going to say their name and give them a shout out or anything, because they're not sponsoring us or anything like that. Hey, um, if you want to sponsor us, let hey. us know, and then we will shout you out. Yes, we will. But sh- this particular guide, who couldn't have been nicer when she took us up to do a guided hike in Jack London National Park, said this particular place did really cool things, like bury the bones of animals in specific fields, and like only you know, harvested when the full moon was out, and I was like, we have to go to this, because that is so cool. I've been to Sonoma a couple of different times, and I've seen how wine has been made and this was like this was interesting and you had never seen it and we wanted to try something it was up in the the mountains but they beautiful. did not talk about all of the animal bones and the full moons i did learn quite a bit about barrels and how barrels are made which is real cool but not yeah. animal bone cool i also thought it was interesting that you know when people tell you that wine has certain tastes it's because like that's what your taste buds are tasting it's not like somebody goes into the barrel and like drops like little taste things in Hershey syrup like Hershey the guy said if you taste chocolate it's not because we went in there and put Hershey syrup in there which I I was kind of like that makes sense but then like the taste comes from the barrel yes not necessarily I mean the grapes clearly have yeah but it's also it's also like the way in which it hits your taste buds because I always wondered why when people said, like, oh, this wine has certain flavors of X, Y, and Z berries, like, I would not always taste that. And so he kind of clarified that you may not taste it, but that was what the overall theme the winemaker was trying to make was was having a wine that had certain flavors to it. You want to know what my philosophy for wine is? What? That I kept thinking of throughout all of our wine adventures. What? April Ludgate on Parks and Rec saying it is my personal opinion that all wines taste the same and if you spend more than I think she said like six dollars on a bottle of wine I think you are very stupid and that's the bottom line I can't taste a difference on anything although white wine is gross (laughs) (laughs) you used to not think it's gross but now that you got into red wine you definitely think it's gross but Um, it's more sugary. Anyway, so, um, this is not a podcast about wine. We sh- we could do that, though. That yeah, but we don't fun. know anything about wine. We don't. We could just, like, drink wine and talk. That would be a fun podcast. I guess. I mean, I don't know about all that, but... Anyway, um, so we took some time off of the podcast because we, um, there was Christmas, we went on our honeymoon... All that good stuff. But we're back. And do you want to tell um, adoption update? Yes. So in two days, we um, have our last inspection. Well, this will drop on a Tuesday, so it'll be a Wednesday. Okay. 
on Wednesday, uh, we have our inspection, our final inspection with the state to certify us finally um, as a licensed uh, resource family. And we've been frantically cleaning and getting our house ready for the past three days. It's really stressful, but finally it's happening. And it's like we've been talking about it for forever and now it's like happening. So it's a very surreal feeling. So. Yeah. Yay. And when we say resource, we mean adoption or yes. foster care. Um, yeah, so that's happening on Wednesday, so the day mm-hmm. after this drops. So if you want to um, pray for us, if you're a praying person, or if you just want to send some good vibes that day, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we'll let you know. Hopefully we have good news. Hopefully it's good news. All right, so it's 2020. Uh, everybody is feeling all, you know, contemplative, reflective. New decade, new year. Yeah, well, and I think it's, like, amplified because it's a new decade, too. Right. You know? Um, so we thought today we would kind of talk about 2019, our top, I don't know, everybody's doing, like, top ten of stuff, and I don't think that I've actually, like, read enough enough books you know to be like top 10 books or like seen enough movies for it to be top 10 movies so it's going to be top whatever number we decide okay of 2019 um and then maybe we'll talk a little bit about 2020 but 2019 let's start with what do you want to start with are we not doing books and movies yeah okay so we'll start with books so, the top books, now granted, I listen to a lot of books more than I read books. That still counts. Okay, good. So, I pulled it up on my Audible app, which I can't really not plug because it's just where my books are. Um, and the books that I felt were the best ones that I listened to this year or read was uh, Stay Sexy and Don't Get Murdered by Georgia Hart's, um, by Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstark from the uh, podcast My Favorite Murder. Which we love. I love that murder. That love that murder. Um, Wait a minute. What? Say why you liked it. Why I liked it. Um, yeah, I like, liked it what because was it? Um, I like Karen and Georgia. I think what their podcast does uh, for people like me who like true crime um, and who uh, the way in which they talk about their lives and you know bringing awareness to victims' rights and everything like that and drawing attention to destigmatizing mental health is very important. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I like My Favorite Murder. I think they, when, if you've never listened to their podcast, when they tell the stories, they never focus on, they always talk about the victim. The person who commits the crime does not get as much attention, which is important. Um, but, and they're good storytellers. You know, they have really good chemistry, so it's nice to listen to them. Yeah, because it's basically like two friends who are really funny telling each other terrible stories. Mm-hmm. But it's somehow really helpful. Yeah. Maybe they want to sponsor us. They do have a podcast network. Um, I'll give the top four books. That okay. Um, then Bad Blood, Secret and Lies in Silicon Valley. If you haven't heard about uh, Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes and the that great con, you definitely need to. Um, you know, she was allegedly like the first self-made uh, female billionaire CEO and it was all a lie. And the Because... Le- well, she said that she had... She had, like, a crazy technology. She said that she could take, like, this tiny little droplet of blood and run m- 
hundreds of tests on it, which, like, logically speaking, could never happen because we're just not there. And the, the book really goes into how, like, she convinced a lot of smart people to invest money, hundreds of millions of dollars into there, how they lied to cover it up, and also, too, like, going into the mind of a person who is a megalomaniac, and Elizabeth Holmes is a megalomaniac, and how they intimidated whistleblowers. What and does that mean? A megalomaniac. Like, yeah. she was an egotistical, like, she was, yeah. she believed in her own greatness. And to her credit, like, she did dream big. Like, it wasn't that her, her motivations, I believe, were altruistic. Like, she did want to help people. But she's a li- <laughs> she's a liar, and she got told multiple times that that technology just doesn't exist. Like, one of the first attempts she tried to do, she went to a really well-known professor at Stanford and said that she wanted to invent a patch that would put in all of the antibiotics you would need. And the professor mm-hmm. was like, that ain't going to work because that's not how vaccines work or whatever. And Elizabeth Holmes was like, uh, screw you, I know more. And, like, what about did it? And But, like, I think people wanted to believe in a female self-made billionaire in Silicon Valley, which is, like, traditional bro area. Like, that's where, like, everybody bros out and, like, women don't have a say in tech. And, and the idea that you, as a person who, if you're scared of needles, having to get pricked that much, like, it makes sense. People wanted to believe it. But when it became evident that they were causing people medical harm by falsifying stuff and just seriously intimidating whistleblowers, then you kind of lose your sympathy for her. So, so did she ever have, like, any of the technology? No. It was just, like, she just talked a lot. She talked a lot. She talked a good game. I mean, she talks in this, like, creepy deep voice that I can't mimic and she doesn't blink that's the other thing like if you ever I I encourage any person to go onto YouTube and just like YouTube her because like it is it is eerie um some of the some of the machines they finally were able to get like a test uh certified by the FDA for uh I think syphilis but they still ran tests on traditional machines yeah now I liked the idea that they were gonna like break up the two big ones, LabCorp and um, oh, Quest Diagnostics. Like, mm-hmm. those two places have, like, a huge right. monopoly on the market, but the idea of the littlest thing, it, it, like, the, like we're talking, like, a pinprick. It would never be enough to do that. So, um, I liked that book. Um, Catch and Kill, Lies, Spies, and Conspiracy by Ronan Farrow, which was uh, the background to... Uh, all of his work on the Me Too movement and how, what stories he broke, um, and how his editors tried to kill the stories he was trying to write because of how powerful Harvey Weinstein is and how powerful right. uh, Matt Lauer is. And I thought, you know, Ronan Farrow is a really great writer, um, and he also owned his own um, sort of bias against his sister, who had accused his father, Woody Allen, of... Uh, molestation and you know he had not he admitted to not really being there for his sister so I thought that was a good kind of insight into him yeah and a really like frightening um a frightening look into what people will do to silence whistleblowers I mm-hmm. mean you know. and then the last one I was gonna say a warning by anonymous but it's not really a fun book but I was gonna uh dear girls and intimate tales and untold secrets by Ali Wong um, she's one of my favorite comedians, and I think it was a really good book um, from a, woman, a, a mom writing to her two daughters. I thought 
Ali Wong is a really incredibly funny comedian uh, as a woman of color from two very unique uh, cultures. It was interesting to learn about uh, her Chinese father and her Vietnamese mother and her travels and the pride she has of being an Asian American and um, learning more about her husband and how remarkable their relationship is. Um, they're kind of like a, it, they feel like a unicorn relationship in, hmm. in celebrity, but also too, just how she was so honest and vulnerable in her book. And the whole point was to dedicate it to her two kids. And I thought that yeah. was really nice. So those were my top four that I read this year. I like it. Uh, and just a reminder for everybody, if you're like driving in the car or something, I will put all, like I'll link all of these books right. in the show notes. So don't wreck trying to write them down. Yeah. Is my point. Okay, so I'll give, I guess I'll give my top four, too. We'll Mm -hmm. stick with four. And then you want to talk about the book we read together? Sure. Okay. So my top four, um, did all of yours come out in 2019? Or just the ones that you read in 2019? I think, I think most of them came out in 2019 or 2018. I don't know about Bad Blood. Um, and I think Ali, Ali Wong's book came out this year, I think. Okay, I was just wondering. The other ones I'm, I know came out in 2019. All right, I'm just going to go what I read in 2019, not what came out in 2019. So, uh, first one that I read in 2019 was Remember God by Annie F. Downs, um, which I have now listened to on Audible four times because hmm. it's so good. Um, and it's her reading it, which is my favorite thing. Like, I cannot listen to books if the author doesn't read it. Like, yeah, I want hard. to feel like the author is, like, reading to me. It's you know hard what I mean? Yeah, it's hard when it's somebody else narrating. So, um, Remember God is, uh, it, it's really interesting. I think it's definitely my favorite of any of Annie's work, um, because she is so vulnerable so it's like a lot about depression um about questioning um about when things don't go like you thought they would Mm -hmm. um broken promises like it's she's she's always so fun and like bubbly that like I really enjoyed seeing this vulnerable Hmm. part of her and the the question that she was asking through the whole book was um is God kind right so it was like she kept saying like I know that I'm supposed to say that God is good but is God kind Mm. or is God always kind um so that was really a really powerful book for me plus she talks a lot about Scotland which I like Mm -hmm. because my ancestors are from Scotland yes they are um so that's a really powerful one, especially if you're wrestling through those big like faith questions, like is God good or is God kind? Um, also, Scoot Over and Make Some Room by Heather Avis. Heather, yeah, Heather was on the podcast earlier this year. I don't remember what episode, but she came on um, and we talked about this book. So this book, when I asked her who she had written this for, she really said, like, the, like, white educated moms. Hmm. Um, because those are the, that's like, I mean, that's what she is. 
Um, but it was all about how to make room for people who are different and how to teach your kids to do the same thing. So all three of her kids are adopted. Um, her oldest and her youngest, Mason and August, have Down syndrome, and her middle, Truly, um, is Guatemalan and black, while the rest of them are white. And so she talks a lot about race and ableism and, like, practical things of, like, how do we think through this? Um, how do we get defensive but still keep talking about how, like, how to recognize your own privilege okay. and use it well rather than just getting mad? a good book um yeah so that's really really good but I also just love Heather Avis in general I read her first book The Lucky Few when we first started um talking about adoption and it was super powerful um I actually don't know if I have four but the la I guess the last one that I'll talk about is um Reforesting Faith by Dr. Matthew Sleeth, mm-hmm. um, which was a little different than other books. Like, I normally read memoirs, particularly from women, just because that's, that's what, you like. what I like, right? Um, but I heard Dr. Sleeth on uh, Annie F. Down's podcast, and I heard him talking about this book, and so I really wanted to read it. Um, I listened to that one on Audible, too. It's him also. And he just talks about, like, what trees teach us about God, what trees teach us about faith. Mm -hmm. He talks about, like, the role of trees and plants in the Bible and what that shows us. Like, it's just this really fascinating, like, interweaving of, like, science and faith and how each inform the other. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool. So I really loved that one, too. Um, All right. Last one. Let's talk about the one that we read together. Oh, uh, Hillbillyology. Yeah, by J.D. Vance. I liked it. I thought it was very, it was a very nice memoir. I think that it gave me more of an insight into Appalachian culture that I probably, I definitely didn't have before. It was very readable. Um, I think that he wrote a memoir at a very specific time. I, I said this to you before, and this is not to knock him as a writer. I don't think this book would have been as popular about 10 years ago. I think with, you know, the way that the election unfolded in 2016 and that, you know, one of the biggest talking points has been that the Democratic Party has forgotten uh, the working white class, Mm -hmm. the the white working class, that his book kind of says like, oh, okay, give us an insight. Um, And that's good and it's bad because that's one little microcosm of one little part of Appalachia. And it's, it would be dangerous to generalize Appalachia as saying like J.D. Vance's family is like stereotypical and you need to like look at them as the key to winning over the white, uh, white working class. And plus I feel like the white working class is not a, not the be all and end all. Like we, they're the democratic party, if they're going to do anything, they need to speak to everybody. But I thought it was a really good memoir and a really good look into groups of people that you don't really ever hear from and it sort of challenges any notions especially about you know I think there's always the misconception that white people shouldn't be poor like that Mm -hmm. and that it's like you know because 
white people have everything in this country. And it's very interesting to watch his family go through what they go through. The other thing that I thought was really good about that book was you get a really good first-hand account of the opi opioid crisis in this country and what it's doing to middle America, to the Midwest, to Appalachia. And we really, in this, it, in this day and age, like right now, we are not talking enough about that um, and how it's, it's killing people. It's destroying everything. Um, and it was a very poignant part of the book and it was not done in a way to be exploitative. It wasn't done to be shocking. It was just part of the story. But it definitely humanizes people who are struggling with the uh, with that particular um, addiction. And my concern is for the future that this crisis is going to escalate and people are going to do nothing about it and it's going to continue to destroy uh, middle America. And his book really, really, I felt for me that really hit home. You had a lot more negative opinions than I thought that you did. <laughs> well, I Were you, like, waiting and you were like, I'm just going to do this on air because she can't yell at me, she can't interrupt me, she okay. has to listen the whole time? Well, I have a lot of positive feelings about the book, but I do think that, like, it came out at the right time. I do. Right, and I know that it has gotten some um, criticism saying, like, this, like, it's not a monolith, like, yes. everybody is different, this was his experience and not everybody's experience, but I think for those people who um, his experience is similar to, mm -hmm. it was really great to finally feel like, oh yeah, that's me, you know, like, he experienced much more of the, like, direct effects, I think, of the problems he was talking about than I did, but still that was the first book that I've ever read that I've been like, oh yeah, that's my family. Mm -hmm. Like, talking about um, the Hillbilly Highway, you know, like the 23 coming up from um, Kentucky, West Virginia, up through Ohio and Indiana, because that's exactly what my family did, you know? So I think that... I know there's been a lot of people saying that it's not accurate, but I do think it was very important for those who right. do share those experiences. It's, it's accurate for his experience. Right. I think, I think, I hope that it opens the door for more memoirs to come out from people who experience and live in Appalachia. Like, uh, I would love to see and hear from people of color from Appalachia mm -hmm. and queer people in Appalachia and their experiences and, you know, not this not just like all of the experiences the good and the bad right because he is a very privileged white man experiencing what he experienced and that doesn't mean that the the pain that he felt was i'm not trying to diminish his pain but you know i would love to hear more voices from appalachia and i'm i'm hoping that that's what comes from this my only concern is people are so quick to use a book like that as this holding it up and like this is the key to unlock the vote and read this book and it'll show you the monolithic view of a landscape that really like encompasses hundreds of thousands of people if not more yeah but a lot of this stuff is never never mind anyway <laughs> we're not going to argue right now you should have told me all that before the podcast oh, well um anyway i did but it's okay if you are looking for um something to better 
a way to better understand Appalachian America. Um, it is a really and it reads great well. It reads resource. really well. Yeah, it's literally just a story that he's telling you, and it's um, it's really good. And Although I will put a warning that it is um, some language has a lot of language, which is the reason my mom won't read it. <laughs> but it's also too like you end up the way he's a good storyteller, and you end up caring about every person that he talks about in that yeah. book. And you see, he he definitely doesn't sugarcoat any person, but you don't get, um, he doesn't focus on the negative. So he's a good storyteller, and I think his family should be very proud of the work that he wrote. Yeah. Uh, it puts them in a very uh, good light. Okay, so those were our books. So really quickly, run through them again. Um, Stay Sexy and Don't Get Murdered by uh, Georgia Hardstark and Karen Kilgareth. Uh-huh. Um, Bad Blood by John Carreyrou, um, Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrow, and Dear Girls by Ali Wong. Cool. And mine were um, Remember God by Annie F. Downs, Scoot Over and Make Some Room by Heather Avis, Reforesting Faith by Dr. Matthew Sleep, and then we just talked about Hillbillyology by J.D. Vance. Um, all right, so let's move on. We talked about top books. Let's do top movies, maybe just our favorite movie. From this year? That came out this year. Ooh. I Okay, I'll go first, because I know first. mine. Okay. Mine is Frozen 2. <laughs> okay. Why Frozen 2? Because it's amazing. Okay. Um... No, I thought, I think that it's not very often that I like a sequel just as much as the first, Mm -hmm. and this I definitely did. Like, I loved it just as much as Frozen. Um, I think just, like, the story that they told was so powerful, like, talking about, um, talking about your fear lying to you and knowing the truth that who you who you are is never scary and who you are is not bad even though people have told you over and over again the core of who you are is bad or you are scary or you need to like suppress this or you need to avoid that um I think is really powerful no matter how you kind of put it into your own life like I know that we had talked about it being like being queer mm-hmm. um and that I think was a really great mm-hmm. way of talking about that but I'm sure it could be for like a bunch of other things like even if people have told you that you're too much or you are too smart or you are too whatever just knowing that, like, that's actually where your power comes from rather than something you need to suppress or avoid. Right. And, you know, I'm going to spoiler alert what I'm about to say. In addition to that with Frozen 2, it's a really good commentary on um, really what happens when colonizers destroy culture and that making it right means you have to sacrifice your home. Um, and I'll leave it at that. Go see Frozen 2 and you'll understand what I'm saying. But I thought that they did, you know, I saw some critique online that, you know, it wasn't good. It wasn't, it didn't go far enough. You know, first of all, 
I hear that, I get it. It's a Disney movie, so they don't have a lot of space to do it. The fact that they addressed it, I thought was like, well, okay, very good. Much better than Much, Pocahontas well, that we tried to watch Disney the other day. Disney Plus brought out the vault, and when I watched Pocahontas, everything in my, all my synapses just burst into flames. First, from all of the inaccuracies and all of the, all of those over-sexualizations and everything and all the generalizations, but we're not going to go there. I think my favorite movie, and I had to struggle with this because I saw a lot of movies this year that I really liked. I loved Frozen 2. I loved um, the biopic pick for um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I loved... Oh, I forgot about yeah, that one. that was early last year. Early last year. Yeah. I loved um, The Last... Uh, the Rise of Skywalker, who mm-hmm. just saw that, but I think the movie that I appreciated and loved the most was Avengers Endgame. And the yeah. reason I'm saying that is because, you know, I've been watching those movies for 10 plus years. Um, I read the comic books. Um, I was emotionally invested in all of it. Um, as cheesy as that is to be emotionally invested in like um, a whole like industry and a whole like comic book movie. But it's not just like the industry, it's like, it can be so much more than that. Yeah. Like, it's not... There was not... I, I can tell you, like, the entire Infinity Stone saga, which was all of those movies, the only one that is not about that are the ones that are going to come out now. Um, and actually, Spider-Man Far From Home is the start of those. Um, yeah. All of those movies, I thought, were amazing. From mm-hmm. Iron Man, the first, to Endgame. All of the ones in there. Now, there are some that I like more than others. Like, I don't particularly like Dar- Thor, The Dark World. And I don't pr- I don't really get excited about Doctor Strange. But all of them are brilliant. And they brought home things for me, like, that I remember from my childhood. And I connect so much more to that than I do the X-Men movies. Because the X-Men movies are almost always all over the place. But Endgame felt like such a good finale. And if you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it now. Um, the scene where all of the women of Marvel... So, pause. Yes. And, like, do, the, like, the, what is it, like, 15-second skip or whatever? Like, do yeah. that a couple of times. Yes. And then come back. Yes. Okay, go. If you haven't seen it by now, like, honestly, though, come on. <laughs> um, when they're at the final battle scene, and uh, all of them come back, and Captain can hear uh, Sam in his ear saying on mm-hmm. your left and they all come out and you're all emotional and I remember in the movie theater when we saw it I started crying and then when all the women of Marvel joined Captain Marvel and that was a good scene that was a wonderful I had the, the I haven't felt like that like with all the hair standing on the back of my neck since Wonder Woman uh, in No Man's yeah. Land um, and Tony Stark Tony Stark sacrificing his life Black Widow sacrificing hers and Captain America finally getting his happy ending for those three like alone it was done well it wasn't cheesy it wasn't it, it was the russo brothers did an amazing job closing that out and, yeah and i can't say enough good things about endgame i can only watch it so many times without getting emotional but it is the the best movie i saw last year yeah that's a good one um you know what movie did um this is us no not this is us Instant Family? Instant Family. It was 2018. That was 2018. Yes. Okay, never mind. But Instant Family was also great. Sorry if you just got some kitty licks. Our creative director, Ivan, is here. L- licking the microphone. Um, okay, 
So, favorite books, favorite movies. What do we want to do next? Do you have any ideas? Because I have one. But if you have ideas. Favorite TV show? Uh, okay. Favorite TV show. Of last year? Um, or I'm, just, like, favorite TV show that you watched last year, I guess? Because um, not a lot came no, out, right? A lot of stuff came out. Like, I'm a big fan of um, The Good Place, obviously, and uh, How to Get Away with Murder. But I'm going to have to say, and this is going to sound cheesy, it's the show The Bull Type. Um, so good. Um, and I'm saying that, you know, I do like Good Trouble, which is the Foster spinoff, and obviously Party of, the new Party of Five remake, but that'll be this year. Um, the Bull Type I like because... It's the three main characters. The actresses have an amazing chemistry where I would actually believe that I'm really just watching them interact to each other. I don't think that they actually yeah. have to act too much with each other. And the stories they tell are very authentic. And um, it kind of gives me, as an older millennial, a look at how younger millennials and Generation Z are interacting and how they are a lot more progressive in their thinking than mm -hmm. I think I give them credit for. And I like that. Um, I think that's one of my favorite shows that I have seen in a very long time. Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, I think one of my favorite shows that has been going on for quite some time is um, Grace and Frankie. Yeah. I just love Grace and Frankie. The cast is really great. That cast has good chemistry, too. Minus, minus Saul and uh, Robert. Robert, sorry. Okay, but... Um, I think that is really good. I mean, not... I know that the the focus of it is, like, obviously Grace and Frankie and, like, living as older women and having your children start taking care of you. Like, I'm sure that that is really um, powerful also for, like, parents and grandparents. Mm -hmm. But I also love how they just kind of, like, slip little things in like um transracial adoption mm -hmm. or transracial um relationships or um addiction or um sexuality and like the fluidity of that like just all of the little things that they're able to slip in into that show with that cast I love plus they're also funny I think that that show makes me happy to watch because I like a show where two very strong actresses are in there. And I think yeah. Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin are two of my favorites. Um, and everyone in that show has amazing chemistry except for Robert Insull. Okay, and we're not going to go there. I'm just going to say one more time that they don't deserve as much airtime. And the actress who plays Brianna, I could watch her in every scene. She's hilarious. I might cut that out. Oh, man. That's well, really hard. That's really harsh on them. I, you know what? The two guys who play Robert and Saul are amazing actors. Martin Sheen and Sam Waterstone are two of my favorites. I don't know why the writers are not giving them more to work with. They're making them kind of like well, stereotypical gay men. Well, I think that's kind of the point, I, though. I know, but like those two guys deserve more to chew. I mean, Grace and Frankie, the two actresses, they get like some of the best stuff. And yeah. even, even the kids get amazing storylines, like mm -hmm. Coyote and his tiny house and his recovery, <laughs> yeah. and Bud and his, you know, his wife Allison, and yeah. Alice. Yeah, all of that. And then Brianna and I'm blanking on the other sister's name. Um, Mallory. Mallory. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to call her Allison, and that's not her name, because no. Allison is Bud's wife. But Mallory and Brianna, 
like I I know those actresses are not related in real life, but the way they interact, they, they could, could be, be sisters. And I think that's yeah. that's the other reason why I love that show is because even though I have issues with the, the Robert and Saul when the ensemble cast is together, they are amazing. Like you could tell me tomorrow that they were actually all related and in a family, and that really happened, and I would believe it because of how good they all are together. You just like some good chemistry. I think that's what sells because if I'm gonna watch something pay money to go see it or whatever um i hope that the actors have the script in front of them and the ability to tell me that they are interacting with each oh, other oh like the, are given the script i thought yes. you meant like the script in front of them like that would be a really terrible movie just, <laughs> to watch like actors walk around i just think like it would be you know and especially a show like grace and frankie and it's interesting i know we're going off topic you look at a show like The Bold Type where the three actresses are very young in their careers mm-hmm. and they haven't done, they don't they don't have the film listing like that cast does of right. Grace and Frankie, but each one of those shows, the writers and the actors love doing what they're doing and yeah. they all have amazing chemistry and if you put those two shows together, they're both just as good. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Um, let's do one more, like, top mm-hmm. one um and then let's talk about 2020 okay okay so I didn't prep you for this so sorry I just thought about it let's talk about your favorite sermon you gave this year oh I mean last year 2019 okay favorite sermon huh okay um that's tough because I have to go back and um, I think the favorite one I did was on the word uh, abomination. That's yeah. the one I think meant the most to me. Um, I did a sermon series on words matter um, where I picked out words in the Bible that trip people up or people had questions about. And I felt that I pulled enough people to kind of get a sense. Um, and the word abomination for, you know, and for our listeners, um, commun- my church, our church is going through, mm-hmm. we're at the end stages of the open and affirming process, which means we're at the part where we've written our statement, we're hammering it out, um, and then it'll get voted on, and then we're in, uh, an ONA church. What does ONA mean? Open and affirming is the United Church of Christ's designation that you are a church that uh, o- is open and affirming to the LGBTQ plus community, and it has expanded to include... Uh, people's status as their immigration status, their status as uh, their mental health, their race, their gender identity, um, their ec- socioeconomic, their uh, class. Am yeah. I missing anything? The idea is literally whoever you are, yep. you are welcome in this church. And I think that's, you know, I mean, and we talked about this on our retreat on Saturday, like making sure we list everything out. And then, you know, my hope is that it becomes just like, you're affirmed. That's it. But yeah. right now, the ONA statement has to list out way too many things. But um, when I wrote that sermon in mind, I didn't just write it for community church. I wrote it because there are people I know out there who are pastors who come to me and say, explain to me how it's okay to be gay and a Christian so that I can explain it to my congregation because mm-hmm. my congregation. So I wrote that sermon not just for my church that already affirms me, I wrote it for pastors who don't know what to say. And I wrote it in a way that goes talking to the language. It was actually a sermon I enjoyed because um, 
a lot of the resources I got were from um, someone I know online who wrote a book. Um, we're going to have to, uh, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but they, okay. they listed um, some of the resources they wrote about, um, and so I had some resources from a specific website that um, is queer and trans uh, translations from a Hebrew a Jewish perspective, so I used that. Do you know the person's name? Uh, who translated it, or the... Just it, where you got this. Um, from uh, an author, Chris Page. Okay. Um, they have a book out on Amazon, which I think we should link. Um, I just don't remember it off the top of my head, but... Amazon isn't giving us money. Well, they are a writer, <laughs> and they do a lot of really great work. I'm just kidding, we will totally and, link uh, it. Chris Page is a phenomenal resource uh, to me on Facebook. They are always listing... Uh, articles and um, I got this from their book um, so cool and they got it from someone else so we'll list it but that okay. that was my favorite sermon um, and it was the one that really uh, hit home for me so. yeah that was a good one mm-hmm. yeah. are you answering I, that question too I don't I don't remember them oh okay so just me I have to list the oh boy okay I I was always so worried about like singing and when I was like standing and when I was doing mm-hmm. everything. I can tell you my favorite song the choir sang, I guess. Yeah, what's the favorite song the choir sang? I don't remember all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought like the the Christmas music from this year when you did um what was the song that the Judds covered? The The Star of Bethlehem or yeah. The Star of Bethlehem? The star, a star of something. Yeah, we'll link it. But I could sing it, um, but I won't. I like that song because I didn't know the history of it. And uh-huh. um, just a brief overview. It's a really beautiful song written by a farmer mm-hmm. who was staying up all night um, as his, was it his cow? Or a goat? Yeah, his cow. cow. Mm-hmm. Was giving birth and he was there. And it's like, I under, I know that it's like if the cow died that it would have ruined him. Yeah. But it's also like such an intimate thing and like... Uh-huh. You know, I don't think, I think the animal, the cow was probably very appreciative to have somebody there with them. Right. You know, like, I know we don't give animals a lot of credit that they don't have the sort of same emotional, uh, like, intelligence that we do. But I have to believe, like, that's a really intimate thing. Yeah. And it's so rare to get that story. So mm-hmm. I really appreciated that. And I'm saying all this while our creative director is asleep on my lap. So, um, you know, I, Sarah I really has. It. Sarah has decided that our kitty Ivan is our creative director. Yeah, he's asleep. Aw, little Ivan. Hey friends, I wanted to break into this episode here really quickly to tell you something I'm very excited about um, that is launching now in 2020. Um... I am now over on Patreon. So if you know what Patreon is, you know how exciting that is. Uh, And if you don't, Patreon is just a way for us to uh, support financially the uh, independent creatives, the authors, podcasters, filmmakers, whatever type of creatives you love, um, so that they're able to continue to do this work. So... Uh, you may know (laughs) this takes time and effort and money and uh, a lot of us can't afford to just do this work full-time so we do have full-time jobs also 
a great way to support uh, those of us who do this creative work is to help us out financially if you are able. Um, even just $1 a month really does a lot. Uh, so head on over to Patreon. That's in the show notes as well, but it's just patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash Bailey W-P making it easy for you. Um, so head on over there to find out all of the perks you can get uh, as a Patreon, as a supporter of this work, depending on your level of giving. All right, guys, back to the show. All right. Um, so those were our top whatever mm-hmm. of 2019. Um, what do you think was the biggest lesson that you learned in 2019? Oh, boy. Um it's a lesson I've had to learn before, and that is that people in power really want to keep it, and yeah. that uh, it's that old saying, like, when you make an assumption, you make an ass out of you and me. Mm-hmm. I think when people make false assumptions, and then You know I have to put this as explicit now, right? right well, that's just the saying. Like, <laughs> you can put it as explicit, but I learned that... Even the people who are the most, that society and people would say are the most high up, that they have the highest morals, are the quickest to assume the worst out of people. And that the church as a whole has some pretty destructive tendencies. Mm -hmm. And that the church is not the does not have the monopoly on ordination and who's called. On faith. On faith. And Mm -hmm. I learned that... Or God. Or God, yeah. I learned that personally this year, having to go through some specific struggles and, um, you know, reliving some trauma that I didn't think I needed to... It wasn't right Uh for me and something I'm still working on. And, you know, I had to... I had to battle my way back and explain myself in a way that makes me, uh, even as I think about it, very angry. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think when you make false accusations and assumptions about a person, it's wrong. Um, but I'm more aware now that when a person is called to be a pastor, that the role the church has, and I mean the church as in the home church that sponsors that person and every pastor, every person who's involved, that the role... I play and the role that everybody else plays needs to be um, nurturing and caring. I think when I see institutions demanding pounds of flesh or making it difficult or being obtuse, it reminds me that the institutionalized church is not what Jesus had intended. Right. And watching um, some of that unfold this year was a reminder to put my faith always in Jesus. Yeah. And that disputes are always worked out best when you go to a person. And that's what Jesus tells us face in Matthew. Matt, and G- Jesus says to us, I think it's the Gospel of Matthew, and I should really know that off the top of my head, that if you have a disagreement with your 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 sibling, mm-hmm. you go to them first before yeah. you jump. And then you bring one person, yeah. and then you go in front of people. Yeah, and I think that Jesus had the... Obviously, Jesus had the right idea, but we so rarely follow that, I think. Yeah. 
the church, and I'm separating the church out from secular society, like the church's first instinct is you hear one thing and people jump and they're like threatening you, and that's wrong, and that's power, and that's financial, and that's everything, and we forget that that simple lesson that Jesus gives us would avoid 95% of the problems that we have. So that's what I learned this year. Yeah. That and I'm going to like have way more confidence in myself because... Like, I... Well, that's for next... Oh, I'm sorry. That's, that's next for year. 2020. 2020. We'll talk about that in a second. Okay. Okay. So, uh, one sentence in 2019 you learned. <sighs> like, what you were just saying. Oh, just as had one to sentence? boil it down. Yeah. I learned that um, the best way to resolve conflict is to go back to the Gospel of Matthew and talk to a person face to face man i really hope that's matthew now oh boy i think it is we'll we'll, we'll double check we'll double check man that's really bad if it's not <laughs> <laughs> and what did you learn oh me oh oh my boy. <laughs> the creative director is saying that i need to be more ask, asking more questions and i agree yeah um i think the biggest lesson that i learned in 2019 was that church shouldn't be a scary as I thought it should. Mm-hmm. Which was, like, legitimately surprising. Because yeah. church had always been scary for such a long time. You know? Or, like, anxiety-inducing. You know, because I don't think that I had experienced a church that, like, truly wanted mm-hmm. all of me or all of anybody really like I think that churches are really good at saying you're totally welcome here bring all of your crap but what they mean is bring all of that superficial stuff that we know how to work with Mm -hmm. come and talk about your marital issues because we know how to like counsel you through that come and talk about your like pornography addiction because we know how to get you through that come and talk about your drug addiction we can do that like all of the things that the church knows how to help people with they're totally on board with and won't typically won't judge you for but the second that a church says come here all of you is welcome and then you show up and say okay well I'm queer or I have these really hard questions. I don't know if I believe in God anymore. I don't know if I believe whatever. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, a lot of churches are like kind of shut down mm-hmm. or like because they don't know how to handle it. They're just like, oh, no, 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 no. that's not how this works. Right. So you can't come here and ask questions. You, like you're, you're being divisive, even though we're just legitimately asking questions. Right. So, I think that was my biggest lesson. That's a good one. Lesson. It's a good lesson. Thank you. All right. Uh, last one. What, I mean, I I do the word of the year. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you do that this year? Uh, like the Star Wars? No. I mean, I didn't do that intentionally with, my, with the church, but I have done that in the past. No, 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 no. Like a word for the year. Oh, of yeah. Of like, you know, like, okay, I'll just talk. So my word of the year is balance. Right. My word of the year is confidence. Oh, well, that's what I was asking. I didn't know you came up with one. Yeah, confidence. I think my biggest problem is that I have allowed other people to 
sort of tell me that I shouldn't be X, Y, and Z and that I have to humble myself down a lot. And I think that has really damaged my self-esteem in a lot of ways. Um, and I'm just going to own the fact that I have, that I, I'm going to own the fact that I'm good at what I do mm-hmm. and that, um, I'm just as good, if not better than a lot of my, a lot of counterparts. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I'm just going to have more confidence in everything I do and say because the world is not going to hand me any favors. And I shouldn't make it harder on myself by saying, like, oh, man, woe is me. Um, I'm also working – I mean, this is another thing, too. I think a lot of pastors get uh, in- unintentionally jealous of the colleagues who mm-hmm. are doing X, Y, and Z things. So I'm not going to focus on what other people are doing this year. I'm focusing on community church and, com- and finishing the second year of my doctorate program. And worrying about me and being confident and when other people say things like, oh, well, I'm this than this and I'm great and I should be getting, and instead of getting wrapped up in opportunities that I think that I want, I'm going to be confident in the ones that I have and go from there. And, you know, maybe I'll get further than I have before. No. I like that. Thank you. Plus also it's sad because you have not always been not confident. No. Literally in our wedding vows I said that my first impression of you was that you were super full of yourself right but like when you're told for so long that how full of yourself you are when you secretly have so many doubts like you know it wears on a person especially since like I am my hardest critic and I don't think most people know that but I think as a whole women are told oh I think people know that (laughs) I think women are told a lot like you're too much you're too egotistical you're too this and all I'm really doing is doing the exact same thing that someone who is uh who identifies as a man would be doing so yeah i'm just gonna own that and be like yeah i i actually am a really good preacher or yeah i actually do know what i'm talking about and calling out a lot more of the systemic mansplaining that i get subject to a lot in the uh vocation i'm in so all right so balance and confidence yep watch out now If you have a word of the year, tell us. I would love to know. We would love to know. Or you feel free to borrow ours. Ooh, you can borrow ours. I think those are two really good words for any person, balance and confidence, because it's something that all of us struggle with. You, I, I am sure our listeners have someone in their life that asks too much of them, or they have situations they feel drain them, or and there are times that they feel like they are not as confident as they should be. You can only get better if you those things any enneagram fours who are out there balance is a great one mm-hmm. i just i keep seeing like enneagram accounts that come up and their word for their enneagram four people are is balance it's a good one so that's right. a good one all right uh anyway anything last minute uh no not that i can think of i'm just i'm just enjoying my time with ivan all right happy 2020 happy 2020